All right, so the kingdom of heaven is a very large topic. In fact, it takes four gospels and you have to read them completely to get a snippet of what the kingdom of God is actually about. Gordon Fee, who is a famous theologian, um, talks about if you do not understand the kingdom of God, you will not understand who Jesus is in any of the words coming out of his mouth. That you are in grave danger if you do not understand the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is the framework of every parable, every sermon, every conversation that he has with people, every miracle even falls under the category and the understanding of the kingdom of God. But kingdom for us, Western culture, American culture, we don't really like the idea of a kingdom. We like our freedom. We like to have our opinion. Well, guess what? In a kingdom, you don't make the rules. And you don't get to vote. There is already a king. And he sets the standards. He sets the rules. He creates the structure. So we must start with Jesus, who is the king, and his rules, and his regulation, and how the kingdom functions. Now, it is very beautiful how the kingdom works. Some of you go, hey, I already don't like this. I like my opinion. I think I'm right sometimes. Well, guess what? Everything in the kingdom must line up with what Jesus has already told us. And if it does not line up with his kingdom, you are wrong. It's a great way to start the class. Hey, you're pretty much your opinion's wrong. Welcome to being human. Because the kingdom is something beyond us. It is a supernatural kingdom. It is a kingdom that is not established here on earth in a physical form. It is established spiritually. Now, the idea of the kingdom of heaven is not new. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven and does all of his teachings and preachings and all of his miracles, it's not a new concept, but he uses terminology that first century Jews would fully understand. I really wish that we had a terminology in Western culture that you guys could follow along that is equivalent to the kingdom. I've heard some examples. I don't think that they live up to how strong this term is. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven encompasses everything. Yes. Okay, I'm really sorry. Did you start the recording? I did. Okay, just making sure the last time. Yes. <laughs> I did. All right. Yes, it's counting, so I'm okay, saying awesome. it's good. Okay. Um, so, but the kingdom of God, he uses the terminology of the time to help them to, ex to understand. Now, when he uses the term kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, they mean the same thing. So when you read your different translations and it goes back and forth, those are identical, all right? Um, now, sometimes he purposely chooses the kingdom of heaven and purposely chooses the kingdom of God, but he'll switch, all right? So don't be confused when you read the four gospels that somehow these are two different concepts. They're not. They're the same concept, but he will use a different word on purpose 
that gets in a little too much of the, that I don't have the time to go into the beauty of that. All right. But this idea of the kingdom of heaven is not a new concept. All right. But the terminology is unique to the New Testament. Now, this is all of time. All right? This is from the moment of creation, and this chart literally goes all the way until God comes back, Jesus comes back, and says, time's over. Okay? This is, this is it. All of history. Very simple. Okay? But I want to explain something, because when you hear the kingdom of God, you must understand that it is a re- reference back to creation. When we were created, we lived in the garden. We were perfect. We were in the image of God. Okay? What Adam and Eve did and how their life was, we do not know all about it, but we do know some of the stuff. There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was no fears. There was no doubt. And they were able to see God face to face. Can we see God face to face? No. If we saw God face to face, we would die. In fact, Moses is the one that, who sees God the most. All he gets to see is the backside. Is that God passes and Moses just gets to look up. And that's it. And literally seeing God that fast and that long changed his DNA to where he was glowing. But see, in the garden... They got to walk and talk with God in the cool of the night. They saw him. They interacted. Their relationship. There was nothing that hindered them. Well, then the fall happens. Now, if we actually drew how far the fall drops humanity, it does not fit on a graph. The fall is beyond anything that we can comprehend because we are fallen now. So you cannot comprehend a life without death. You cannot comprehend a life without fear or without shame, without insecurities. That's all. The best you can imagine is a joke compared to what the garden was like. So we have fallen. And so what God does is the whole Old Testament is him trying to show us how to live. Now, he chooses a kingdom. He chooses Israel to be the example. They screw it up. Then they get a little bit better. Then they screw it up. They get a little bit better. They screw it up. And it just repeats and repeats and repeats. Till finally God, at the end of the Old Testament, he goes silent for 400 years and goes, you guys don't listen. Okay? But then John the Baptist comes on the scene. And John the Baptist is the first one who really starts introducing this idea of the kingdom life. And he's like, get ready. Somebody's coming. Get ready. Get your hearts ready. You think you're ready. You think you're already in the kingdom. You're not. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. And so John the Baptist has this message where he's like, let's go do water baptism. This is your acknowledging you're not ready for the kingdom. And the first words after Jesus is water baptized, he goes to the desert, he's tempted by Satan, he walks out, and the first thing out of his mouth is, the kingdom of God is near. 
all of history has changed in this one moment. Look, I'm going to get a little bit preachy on here because guess what? This is it. When he says this line, the kingdom of God is near, literally history is about to change. Our whole future changes with this one little phrase because God has come in human form and he's going to show us how to live back like we were supposed to be. He's showing us how to live garden life. Kingdom life equals garden life. Where he's trying to get us back. So what he does is he spends his time on earth and he preaches and he teaches. And this is where I'm going to give you your homework assignment because there's no possible way that I could ever cover all of these. If you want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like, in every single detail, you need to read all four of the Gospels and memorize them. And then you'll understand how you're supposed to live. Okay, that's the best I can do. And then guess what? It's actually greater because you're still fallen and sinful and it's much better than even you can comprehend now. Even I, no one can comprehend the fullness of the kingdom of God. That's the beauty of it. So when he tries to show us examples, he gives us parables. He tells us that the kingdom of heaven, this thing that we're pursuing, this life in the kingdom, is the greatest prize. And you should sell everything you have. You think you have something of value, and it's garbage compared to what you have in the kingdom. It's all a joke. It's rubbish. It's literally waste in the street compared to what you get in the kingdom. So how do you get into the kingdom? Well, you didn't open the door. The kingdom did not start by something you did. Now, I thought this morning was really good. And I'm trying to, one of the things is there was a call to repentance. Repentance by itself is not enough. There has to be something that makes repentance have eternal value. And that is grace. See, what happened is, when Jesus dies and rises from the dead, he brings eternal grace to the earth. And he says, I'm going to forgive you, even though you don't deserve it. I'm going to heal you, even before you ask me for healing. I'm going to restore you to where death has no victory. He offers all of this up front. That is the beautiful part of this kingdom, is all that we need is offered up front. Now, there's some really cool stuff afterwards. Like, please don't, like, there's hope, joy, peace. Like, all of that stuff comes afterwards, but what we miss sometimes is you're, you asking for repentance without his grace has no meaning. Do you understand that you were only getting into heaven based off of a promise? That at any time God goes, you know what? I don't actually want to offer you grace. You don't get into heaven. He can change the rules. Now that 
please don't misunderstand. The cool part about the king is when the king makes a promise, the king will keep it. And that is one of the biggest differences between God and man is when he makes a promise, he is able to fulfill that promise. But do you realize that your eternal salvation is just based off of a promise? That's the promise of grace. I love repentance, but repentance is always after grace. And I think I would encourage you because I think enough in the Western culture, we do not fully understand how beautiful and how deep grace is. But I also think we abuse grace. And because we do not have a healthy definition of grace, our views of the kingdom are off. Because grace should be the lenses that you look at everything in life through. Okay? Now, you don't wear glasses. Do you wear contacts? Good. Yes. Sweet. The example works. So, you don't, you don't think you're blind. You think you're fine. But see, when you realize who Jesus is and what he's done, he's saying, hey, you need these. Yeah, but no, no, I'm good. I don't need these to see. No, no, no. You have to reevaluate every way that you look at life. Every way that you look at everyone. And so if I gave this to you, at first it would be blurry. But actually your eyes will adjust to the prescription. And then you can walk with grace the rest of your life. Now, I can't see without my glasses, so I'm going to put these back on. But here's the thing. When you enter into the kingdom, when you walk through the door, the door is grace. He opened it, not you. But what you are given is the choice to whether or not you walk through it. But when you decide to walk through it, what you're acknowledging is, I need grace. By asking for repentance, you're saying, I recognize he's capable of giving me forgiveness. You're recognizing grace. You're acknowledging it. Grace is the starting point. The law of the kingdom is grace. The law of the kingdom is always grace. Now, when Jesus comes back, the laws will change. Okay? like There's going to be a different set of laws later. But the law of here on earth is always grace. So whenever you make a mistake, you must ask for forgiveness from the person or the situation. Anyone who has ever wronged you, you are required by law to offer them grace. And according to John, Jesus says, if you do not offer grace to others, you will not receive grace from God. Your salvation is dependent on how much grace you have for each other. And it does not matter what the other person's done. He does not give it. Oh, there's exceptions to it. You don't have to forgive this person. No, you have to forgive them. Because it's the law of the kingdom. Now, some people wouldn't say that grace is boundless. Yes. (coughs) But there are borders to the land into the kingdom and the king is not a fool 
when the woman is caught in adultery, which I always think is a very interesting story, because where was the man who was caught in adultery? That always gets me, is how did he get off? Which probably means that the woman was set up. That they knew she was going to be caught in adultery. It hints towards it was a trap. And so they trapped this woman to bring her before Jesus to, to catch him. And he says, he was without sin, cast the first stone. They all leave. But notice what he says to the woman. Go and sin no more. There is mercy new every single day. Here's the deal is, Jesus already knew you were going to screw up every single day of your life. Fully prepared for it. I'm so thankful for that. Because I'm a complete screw up in many areas. I am thankful for his mercy. I am thankful. Mercy is something that flows out of grace. I am thankful for his mercy. I'm thankful that one of the rules of the kingdom is that I have opportunities to better myself. But I'm still supposed to stop sinning. And so a way to think about it is, is that when you walk into the kingdom and you first feel that grace, there is work to be done once you're in the kingdom. There's this whole debate of saved by grace, saved by works. There's actually not a debate. It's, it's really dumb because they think Paul is a saved by works and John is a saved by grace. It's not true. Uh, Paul actually addresses both of them. You enter the kingdom through grace. You stay in the kingdom by action. And you can solidify your salvation by acting a certain way. Okay? But if you don't act a certain way, you step out of the kingdom. Okay? So there are lines to grace. God will not be mocked. And so you must understand that grace has its boundaries. But the, what he's looking for is the repentant heart who acknowledges and tries to be better. And that is our goal in the kingdom. That is our job. Our responsibility is to be become better servants. And you become a better servant by being confessional. You must be confessional with your sins and your struggles. You cannot stay in the kingdom because eventually you start to not receive grace. You start closing yourself off and you just keep doing this and you slide right out. Now here's the deal. Is, I've got a million things that I need to confess and the Lord works on certain things at certain times. I need to have grace for myself. I will never reach perfection. I really want to try. But the Lord knows I'm not going to I'm not going to achieve perfection. In fact, there's this powerful verse that says, even when I screw up, the Holy Spirit can still work through that. Like, he even acknowledges that we're like, guys, you're not going to get this perfect. So he gives us mercy every day, and he can take my stupid moments and change someone's life forever. 
It's a really awesome king. But that comes from grace. So we have these we have these borders that we need to be careful of. And we don't want to abuse grace because God will not be mocked. He will not be made a fool of. But he understands the hardship. He understands how temptation works. But he wants us to overcome temptation. Well, I'm just going to be tempted for the rest of my life. Oh, that's not a kingdom attitude. That is not acceptable. My idea should be, yes, there is temptation always at the door. But I will build up my house to keep that temptation out. And it is my responsibility to discipline my mind, my body, my emotions to where I can withstand the temptation from Satan and the temptation that comes from it within. There's two two sets of temptation coming at us constantly. Our sin nature and Satan. Not everything's Satan's fault. Some of it's your fault. Well, you're like, well, I didn't do anything wrong. No, you were just born. You were born into sin. And so you have to recognize that. And so every morning, you have to wake up and acknowledge, not my will, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're praying for his kingdom to come on earth. Now, there's this cool thing. Oscar Coleman, who's a theologian who's been dead for a number of years. Oscar Coleman creates, he uses this terminology. It's called the now, but not yet. Okay? The now means the kingdom of heaven. We can see it and we can experience it. But it is not fully in control. So we have access to the kingdom of heaven. We have glimpses of the kingdom of heaven. We have moments, like you just saw earlier in the service, where you saw a little bit of the kingdom of heaven. You tasted it. I know it was good. But that pales into comparison to the actual kingdom of heaven that we will see for all eternity. So if you thought that was great, that's crumbs at the end of the ta- that fall off the table. This, this concept of we have to, we can see the kingdom. We have glimpses of heaven. But we still have to deal with real life. See, because in the kingdom of heaven, nobody dies. In the kingdom of heaven, no one's sick. In the kingdom of heaven, there is no shame. In the kingdom of heaven, there are no tears. In the kingdom of heaven, there are no fears. In the kingdom of heaven, there are no temptation. In the kingdom of heaven, you're always at peace. You're never anxious. In the kingdom of heaven, we see the fulfillment of the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and life in the Spirit. But we just get snippets right now. That's why the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, which I don't know what background or where you come from or what denominations or how long you've been in the faith, but I want to encourage you. you, We try to learn 
how to pray. And there's so many people who struggle and say, I don't know how to pray. Do you understand that God came to earth to teach you how to talk to God? The Lord's Prayer. He's already taught you how you say, hey, I want to see more of the kingdom of heaven. Pray the Lord's Prayer. You can add words to it. He doesn't say you can't add things, but don't take anything away. You can add all the words you want. If you struggle with prayer, just pray the Lord's Prayer. And guess what? You can pray it every day. You can pray it 50 times every day. You know why? Because Jesus told you to do it. We have permission from Jesus on how to talk to Jesus. And he starts with praying his kingdom to come. You want to see revival? Actually, all you're asking for is more kingdom. You want to see healings? All you're asking for is more kingdoms. You want to see the miraculous? All you're asking for is more kingdom. You just want more and more and more. And you should desire that. You should desire the kingdom. Because with the kingdom comes hope. With the kingdom comes joy. With the kingdom comes peace. With the kingdom, you do not fear the future. And I remember what it was like to be a college student and the stress of, am I in the right major? Am I I following the will of God? What's the perfect will of God? Which is not actually a biblical concept. The will of God is, the perfect will of God is a momentary thing. The perfect will of God is a moment. The will of God is whether you're staying in the kingdom and there are boundaries. That's the will of God. Part of the will of God is love your neighbor as Jesus has loved you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then the other is the great commission. Go. Those are the boundaries. That's the rules that you're supposed to live by. You follow those rules, you're in the kingdom. And he'll change you just because you just just know that he's going to go. Yeah, you need to work on this area because what he's doing is a process called sanctification. When you're in the kingdom, he's going to sanctify you. That's the Holy Spirit making you more like you were intended to be. He's bringing us back to the garden life. In the kingdom, the supernatural flows all the time. Why are we not walking on water? (coughs) Why does our shadow not heal the person who's on the side, who's crippled? Why do we not feed 5,000 from a lunch meal? Some of you might be thinking, well, wait, that's, that's Jesus. Jesus did that. John 14, 12 through 14. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me anything in my name and I will do it. One of the cool parts about the kingdom is the impossible becomes possible. 
do we not believe in the impossible? We doubt the king. These are the king's words, his own words. Do you really understand the concept that you can do greater miracles than Jesus? Why are we not laying hands on people to come back from the dead? And you might be thinking, well, Jordan, this is getting a little weird. It's getting a little creepy. Guess what? I'm a business guy. I'm a numbers guy. The supernatural freaks me out more than it freaks any of you out. But the more that I've been on this journey in the kingdom, the more that I've decided to be confessional and ask for repentance, I've taken one step closer to the king and seen more supernatural. Become more confessional. Become more repentant. I take one more step closer to the king and I see more supernatural. And I've been doing that sometimes better than others. Thank goodness for that mercy. But each day in the kingdom, we should be striving to see more of his kingdom come to earth. The kingdom, the number one law, and we must learn and understand is grace. And the longer you stay in the kingdom and be obedient to what he's called us to, you will see more supernatural. But it's not just the miracle stuff. We're talking about supernatural faith, supernatural hope, supernatural peace, supernatural joy. All of those things come too. It's the fruits of the Spirit, it's the gifts of the Spirit, and it's life in the Spirit. You should see all three of those components. But we also must remember, He makes the rules of the kingdom. And I don't have enough time to cover all of the components. I've just given you an overview. The rest is on you to discover what the kingdom's like. You have four Gospels. Those are the, that's where you must start. But Paul does an amazing job of helping you understand certain components of it that weren't always the easiest for people to comprehend pre-death and resurrection. Okay? So there's some stuff where he talks about... He, actually, Paul talks about grace more than Jesus does. Um, but Paul has a deeper understanding of grace. And Jesus was trying to create a new framework. Okay? So it's not that Jesus doesn't care about grace. He just is, he's trying to get them to understand, I'm going to show you grace. You just got to stick with me. Okay? But Paul does a lot and talks about, so if you look up grace, you're going to be like, why aren't these, there's not a lot in the gospels. It's okay. Jesus had a, he had a, he had a certain goal. He was establishing a kingdom, establishing the rules. And Paul's job and what was one of them was to explain grace and grace is how we treat each other if you notice all the fighting in the corinthians and ephesians oh wait every letter that paul writes there's always fighting and there's always sin and there's always something going on he's teaching them how to have grace for each other and i must have grace for others because i was showed grace when i got into the kingdom it's a requirement it is the law 